we can come to you in prayer. Father, as much as uh, the daily interactions we have with others may bring strife, may bring conflict, we desire for peace, we desire for restoration, and God, we are so grateful that as much as we love one another and we love your church, we know that you love it even more, and it is your heart's desire for full reconciliation and restoration as well. And we are so grateful that your Holy Spirit is present. It's active in this church. It's active in our lives individually, and it's active in the life of this church as a congregation. And we know that with the Holy Spirit working with us, Father, you will bring restoration. Father, we pray that it would be very soon. Father, we extol your name because you have lifted us up. God, we are so grateful that in the midst of life's trials, whether they be relational, financial, health, otherwise, you love us and you are there for us. You are our protector. You are our provider. God, we cry out to you because so many of us need healing. We need healing in relationships that can become so evident during the holiday season. God, we ask for relationships that are healed, renewed, strengthened, that a joy can be there where perhaps previously there wasn't. We're grateful for the good relationships you do give us, the encouragement they bring, and the edification that can come about. Father, we pray for your healing hand. We pray for it for Dorothy Coyle as she's recovering from a stroke. We pray for strength for Forrest as he ministers to her. Father, we pray the same thing for the Khrushchevs as Kevin is recovering from health issues. And Father, we know there's others here in this body waiting to hear word <clears throat> from a doctor, waiting to find a process that can help them. And God, we ask for your healing hand upon this, these people. We ask for your healing hand in a miraculous way, and we're grateful for your healing hand through the knowledge you provide, the wonderful medical care we have today. So God, whichever means you bring it about, we ask that you would heal these wounds and these sicknesses, that we can be people strong physically in the work in your name. Father, we pray for safe travels for those right now that are scattered all over the country visiting friends and family over the holidays. Specifically, pray for the Hollands as they're down in South Carolina visiting his mom. That that would be a sweet time and that they would have safety traveling back. We look forward to their return here. <coughs> Father, we're grateful that we can rest in you. We know that weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. We are so grateful that we can rest in you, Lord. Now, Father, we pray that prayer that your son taught us to pray, praying together, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> I'm going to ask your forgiveness this morning. I'm having a cold, so if I cough or sniffle, that is why. Well, this morning we're going to get back into the Ten Commandments.
It's hard to believe we started this back in August. It was 95 degrees and humid outside when we launched into the first commandment. And here we are on the other side of Christmas. And there was a little bit of a break because of Advent, but it's really not surprising that we can spend this long and only be halfway through the Ten Commandments because it's the law that God has given us. The law that was given to us to reveal his glory, his perfection, his nature. The law that was given to reveal to us the lack of perfection, our lack of holiness, the sinful nature that rages within us. And it was given to us to show us how we can live a life that is fulfilling to him and matches his goals for us. Even though the Ten Commandments comprise only 322 words in their totality, the amount of revelation, the amount of conviction, the promises revealed to them is absolutely astounding. It has filled volumes of commentary and conceptual exploration. And just with all of Scripture, every time we open it, more is revealed to us. We can read a passage over and over again. And yet, it's anew and afresh every time. It just goes to prove not only the validity, but the how applicable God's word is for us in our lives. This morning, we're going to take a look at the fifth commandment. Let me read it. It's in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord is giving you. Because this is quite literally the words of God our Father. Let's take a moment and pray before we consider it. <coughs> Father, we are grateful for your word. We are grateful that you have brought your word through prophets. You've brought it through inspired word, through your Holy Spirit, into men. And as we see here in Ten Commandments, you quite literally have spoken these words to us. God, we pray that... I pray that this morning, these words that you spoke, I will be able to explain in a clear manner. It will be truthful and accurate, and it will be beneficial in our lives. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord has given you. Leviticus 19. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father. Deuteronomy 15. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land in which the Lord is giving you. Matthew 19. Mark 10. Luke 18. Honor your father and your mother. Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother this is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. God must place a high priority upon this commandment because he repeats it time and time again throughout his scriptures. As we consider this passage, there are several questions I want you to think about. Why is this important to me? Why is it important to God? What are the promises contained within it and what is God's purpose for this commandment in my life? Now, we're not going to explore every one of those questions today, but we'll, we'll begin. And as I begin, I want, you, I want to take you to a seemingly obscure passage from a prophet. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 35. 
Now, Jeremiah was born in the 7th century B.C. during a time of crisis in Israel and Judah. His ministry spanned the time preceding and after the fall of those nations to the Babylonian Empire. Jeremiah was charged with God to warn his people of the impending disaster which, is, which was to befall them because of their infidelity to God, but it fell on deaf ears. His pleas for a return to the way of the Lord during his subsequent reigns of the kings of Judah were ignored. And as such, Judah and Jerusalem fell to the Babylonians about 587, 586 BC, and thousands of, of citizens were taken away to Babylon, Solomon's temple was destroyed, and it seemed like the end of Israel and Judah. Their infidelity, infidelity was due in part to their no longer giving God, their heavenly father, the honor that he was due. So Jeremiah chapter 35 will begin, and I'll, I'll interrupt in a, in a minute here. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, saying, Go to the house of the Rechabites, speak to them, and bring them into the house of the Lord, into one of the chambers, and give them wine to drink. Quite often in scripture we read, and we go through a bunch of names, and uh, like we do here in Jeremiah, and without understanding the significance of the names, we miss the implications or the impact or the import of the scripture. So a, a pertinent question here is, who are the Rechabites? And we'll see that here in a minute as we continue, but I want you to th be thinking about that. Then I took Jazaniah, the son of Jeremiah, the son of Habazaniah, his brothers and all his sons, and the whole house of the Rechabites, and I brought them into the house of the Lord, into the chamber of the sons of Hanan, the son of Igdaliah, a man of God, which was by the chamber of the princes, above the chamber of Messiah, the son of Shalom, the keeper of the door. Y'all are glad you didn't have to read all those names. Then I set before the sons of the house of the Rechabites bowls full of wine and cups, and I said to them, drink wine. But they said, we will drink no wine, for Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, you shall drink no wine, you nor your sons, forever. You shall not build a house, sow seed, plant a vineyard, nor have any of these. But all your days you shall dwell in tents, that you may live many days in the land where you were sojourners. Thus we have obeyed the voice of Jonabad, the son of Rechab, our father, in all that he charged us, to drink no wine all of our days, we, our wives, our sons, our daughters, nor to build ourselves houses to dwell in, nor do we have vineyard, field, or seed. But we have dwelt in tents, and have obeyed and done according to all that Jonadab, our father, commanded us. But it came to pass... When Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up into the land that we said, Come, let us go to Jerusalem for fear of the army of the Chaldeans and for fear of the army of the Syrians. So we dwell at Jerusalem. God's Holy Scripture is amazing. When we write a book, as humans we write a book, we focus our intentions on families of great fame or importance. 
if, if I want to read a biography, I'm going to pull something off the shelf on George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, or another great man of history. But here, we see a seemingly unremarkable family mentioned nowhere else in scripture, but recorded here forever, for all time, for posterity. We see this family become the focus of a creator of the universe as he gives instruction to his people. And we see them held up as an example for all ages, for anyone who claims to be a follower of God. Verse 12 continues, Then came the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Go and tell the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Will you not receive instruction to obey my words, says the Lord? The words of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, which he commanded his sons, not to drink wine, are performed. For to this day they drink none and obey their father's commandment. But although I have spoken to you, rising early in speaking, you did not obey me. I have also sent you all my servants, the prophets, rising up early and sending them, saying, Turn now everyone from his evil way. Amend your doings. Do not go after other gods to serve them. Then you will dwell in the land which I have given you and your fathers. But you have not inclined your ear nor obeyed me. Surely the sons of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, have performed the commandment of their father, which he commanded them. But this people has not obeyed me. The prophet Jeremiah is told by the Lord to use this family as an example, a comparison to Israel regarding obedience to their father and their disobedience to theirs. We learn here about a family, a clan, who obeyed the instructions of their father explicitly. Consider what's being asked of them. As people, we seek comfort and security. What do you want after a long day of work? You want to come home to your home, your house. You want a warm meal, a glass of wine to relax. You want the same pillow to lay your head down every night. These people were asked to have none of that. No home, no vineyards, no fields, to be nomads. But that instruction came with a promise. They would have many days in the land in which they were sojourners. What a remarkable similarity to God's promise in the fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God has given you. This promise of long days is rich in meaning. In an age of astonishing medical care, good health seems almost a given. In fact, to the point where some people claim it as a right. In an age where grocery stores are open 24-7 and there's unlimited fresh fruits and vegetables, being one bad harvest away from starvation is a concept we can't grasp. In an age with police and societal structures, bands of marauders coming upon you and taking everything seems very third world to us. The promise of long days was a promise of prevention. It was a promise of provision, and it was a promise of protection. Living long means more than just a long life. It also means living a life filled with God's presence and his favor. 
Indeed, to sum up the blessedness associated with doing of all of God's commands is the commands of eternal life. A disciplined life following the instructions of parents resulting in peace and stability versus an undisciplined life filled with disobedience resulting in wreckage, pain, psychological and physical harm. That is the choice before us. And if we take a cursory glance at society around us, we see the truth in its application. This was the promise of the favored hand of God bestowing blessings on a people as long as that people obeyed him. So often, we interpret a commandment as a negative. We see a stick when we should see a carrot. But this is not a negative. This commandment, it's God saying, my hand of blessing is extended out. And as long as you remain and in my commandment, you remain under my hand of blessing, you are protected. I will provide for you. I will shield you from the harms of this world. I will guide you, and I will provide for you. But if you wander from my hand of blessing, if you strike out on your own, if you disobey me, you don't come under this blessing. So, people, we need to understand when God gives a commandment, it's loving. It's for our benefit. He wants to bless us, but he also gives us the freedom to wander away, to wander out from his hand of blessing. So commandments aren't a negative. They're a promise. The choice is ours. The prophet's words should have struck fear in the heart of the Jewish people. Because he's telling Israel, these children, they obeyed their earthly father. The instruction he gave them, but you don't obey me. I mean your heavenly father. Their father gave them instruction, established for them a pattern for life, and they obeyed even when they were tested. Yet I came to you from early on and I spoke with you and you did not listen to me. I sent my prophets to you who brought you my word and you spurned them. Some of them you killed. You rejected what they told you and you did not obey me. I extended the promise of protection and provision to you and yet you went your own way. <clears throat> I wish I could say growing up, I was always obedient and listened to my father and my mother. But my parents and my brother are both here today, so if I said that, they'd call me out on it. I can't, I can't honestly say I always obeyed. Many an afternoon was spent standing in a corner for some infraction, and the sound of leather coming through belt loops was not an uncommon sound in our house. Um, I know this happened a lot of times, uh, but there was one time it stands out in my mind much more than others. I don't specifically remember what I did or didn't do that brought about the correction, um, but the correction stands very strongly in my mind. Uh, my dad worked an hour away. He came home. It was that grave an infraction. Couldn't wait for the spanking. Please, let's get this over. Bring me the spanking. There was no spanking. My father simply looked at me intently and said, I'm very disappointed in you. That was the worst form of punishment. Nobody wants to disappoint their father. No matter your age, you seek their approval. Here I am, 52, and I still I want my father's approval. 
That isn't strange. It's designed into us. God's hardwired that into us. The desire for the approval of our earthly father and our heavenly father. But because of rebellion and disobedience, we struggle with this and we fail to fully obey. Deep, we in, deep within us, we crave that approval. God created the earthly parent-child relationship to mirror that heavenly father-child relationship. That's precisely why that desire for parental approval on the part of a child is so universal and absolutely consuming. It's why my heart nearly bursts in my chest when I consider the day when I'll stand before most holy God and King Jesus looks at me and declares, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter the house of the Lord. Those are words that I long to hear. And the thought, instead of receiving words of disappointment, causes my bones to shrivel and become brittle. But this people didn't hear those words of approval. Let's consider everything God had done for them. He protected them while they were in Egypt. They became so prolific that the Egyptians actually feared them, though they were their prisoners. Though enslaved and in bondage, he protected them. As a result, their numbers grew astonishingly. In this life, we grow up in a world fraught with danger. Yet our parents protect us. And because of that, we grow stronger and more able to withstand what assails us. They do this in face of our childish grumblings, like, but Johnny's parents let him watch whatever he wants on TV. God had given them the law and established standards by which they should live. He didn't establish these laws to persecute them or make their lives miserable. These standards were to protect them, sometimes from dangers they could not even perceive. They were to protect them, even in the face of still childish grumblings like, but Johnny's parents let him stay out late and go to parties. Verse 15 uses the words, you have not inclined your ear. In English, that word inclined has a connotation of relaxation, of little activity, like I'm sitting in my recliner. In Hebrew, the word has a much richer and energetic meaning. In Hebrew, that word means to bow before the messenger while pricking up the ears. It is a word that denotes active listening with reverence for the one giving instruction. Yet in spite of all God did for his children, they were ungrateful. And they did not listen. And that ingratitude led to disobedience. That disobedience led to what we read next in verse 17. Therefore says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring on Judah and on all the inhabitants of Jerusalem all the doom that I have pronounced against them. Because I have spoken to them, but they have not heard, and I have called to them, but they have not answered. And Jeremiah said to the house of the Rechabites, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, because you have obeyed the commandment of Jonadab, your father, and kept all his precepts, and done according to all that he commanded you, therefore says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab, the son of Rechab, should not lack a man to stand before me forever. 
Verse 17 uses the word therefore. Therefore implies a cause and effect relationship between their disobedience and the state they find themselves in. Despite warnings and prophets, Judah remained steadfast in their disobedience, shunning the Lord's commands. Because I have spoken to them, but they have not heard, does not mean they were out of earshot. It means the words God spoke, they rejected. We know that the fifth commandment is a commandment with a promise. Obey your father and you will live long in the land. Here, as God's prophet Jeremiah concludes his message to the men of Judah, we see the result of the promise shown. Because the Rechabites had obeyed their father, even when they were tempted otherwise, actually instructed by somebody in a position of authority to disobey, because they obeyed, the Lord was so pleased that he stated, Jonadab, the son of Rechab, shall not lack a man to stand before me forever. Imagine this. Because they obeyed their earthly father, God was going to bring eternal blessing upon them. How much more blessing can we expect if we obey our heavenly father? Just as the sins of the fathers are visited upon the third and the fourth generations, we see here that the blessings of obedience reach down multiple generations as well. I mean, Rechab would see all his generations blessed because of their obedience to him. The influence of a godly man is multi-generational. I'm grateful that I can look upon the generations of my father and my grandfather before him and see that through that continued obedience, we are seeing now the fourth generation of children that are believers. That influence is perpetuated and extended through the obedience of the children. Obedience that renders provision and protection. Let's think about some of the implications of that. First, the responsibility of the father to ascertain what is the instruction my children need to receive. Second, the discipline of the father to continue that instruction in spite of the pressures of the world to do otherwise and in spite of your own desire to be friends and buddies with the child even when instruction may demand otherwise. To maintain that standard despite the inerrant desire to be liked by the children and despite our own weakness as fathers and our own uh, sometimes our desire to uh, shun those responsibilities. And then we look at the responsibility of the child. The child's obedient. Uh, they must receive that instruction in a positively responsive manner. It's not enough to Okay, I'll obey. No, there should be a good attitude with that obedience. And then, as that child has grown, the discipline to perpetuate that cycle, for that child to then pass on the instruction that they received from their fathers. Any break in the step of that process and the continuance of those blessings is risked. But through steadfast instruction by the father, and obedience by the children, multi-generational blessings are in store. There is responsibility on the part of the child here. It's not enough for the parent to simply establish the instruction. Without obedience, the process halts. Seen this way, we can understand why this is a commandment from God Almighty. 
for the child to squander dedicated, long-suffering, continued construction of a parent and thus turn to his own uh, uh, turn to his own ways and place at risk even possible future generations of that blessing away from a godly instruction. It's a travesty, a wasting of spiritual and emotional investment. Some parents are better than others. Some of you may be sitting here today thinking, my parents didn't establish standards. My parents didn't provide for me well. My parents or my my parent or my parents weren't there for me. I could try to appease those questions in your mind by traipsing on about the intricacies of relationships. I could talk about incremental improvement you could achieve despite rough beginnings. We rightly could talk about the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome those tough beginnings. And if that is your situation, I'm sorry for you. I truly am. I kept myself blessed. That's not my situation. If that's your situation, Joe or I or another seasoned Christian would love to sit down with you and talk to you about how do I deal with that on a practical sense? How do I overcome that? but we don't have time or place here this morning to address all those different situations. So for right now, I'm going to be much simpler and more direct. Obedience to our holy God, it's not optional. The only if statement in this command is if you obey, blessing will follow. Remember, it's not a curse, it's a promise. So in a practical sense, how do I honor my parents? honor means to treat somebody with the proper respect due their position and their person. As a young child, parents are honored by obedience and basic instruction. As the child matures, obedience becomes more than simple adherence to construction, instruction. The added maturity extends the child's responsibility to include responding with understanding for the purpose behind the instruction and extending that obedience to even unstated commands. That is, acts that fulfill the recognized purpose without having to even be told to do it. For example, a young child being told to pick up their room. And as the child matures, when they see a mess in the kitchen, they should take initiative to clean up the mess. They're in that home, it's part of the home, they should see a responsibility for that. And when they do so, they honor their parents. What mom wouldn't feel gratitude for young kids cleaning up the mess in the kitchen? What dad wouldn't feel gratitude for the children not creating more work when they're home on the weekend, but helping them with that work? Give him extra time on a Saturday. As a young adult, honoring your parent means to maintain the cumulative instruction by the parents as that child launches on their new life, not discarding that discipline for the enticements of independence. To honor one's parents includes to prize them, to care for them, to show respect or reverence to them. The command is given to children, but not for while they are only children. Now this is not a popular doctrine in our modern world where youth is worshiped an old age dreaded or despised. I wonder if we truly honored our parents in their older age, 
when they receive when they receive that advance age, and especially when our lives aren't bound together daily, if they were honored then, as people, will we still strive for the folly and the lie of youth, or will we be grateful for what age brings? Would the grandmother feel joy in being surrounded by multiple generations instead of trying to cast herself as still in her 30s? Would the grandfather feel pride and strength in seeing the standards he lived by and pressed down to his children to future generations being followed instead of cast aside? Honoring your parents when you're an adult <clears throat> also means physical support in their advanced years. Jesus used the way the Pharisees interpreted this commandment as an example of how one might keep the law with a limited interpretation, yet violate the spirit of the commandment. Disobedience of people regarding this has been widespread in all ages. Even in the times of Christ, the keepers of the temple had concocted a device for enabling the wealthy to hold on to their wealth despite the commandment to take care of their parents. It was called Corbin. And this was explained and condemned by Jesus himself. This was a common practice among the Pharisees. They would declare their worth a Corbin, which means a gift to God. And if you declared it a gift to God, nobody else could touch it. So then the Pharisees, who gained all this wealth, would pile it up and say, Oh, I declare this a Corbin to God. Sorry, Mom and Dad, sorry you're wanting and suffering. It's dedicated to God. I can't help you with those funds. It was this selfish and dishonest attitude, though, though legal, that Jesus condemned in Matthew 15. It says, Then the scribes and the Pharisees who from Jerusalem came to Jesus, saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. He answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses his father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God. Then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God above no effect by your tradition. Hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me. Our generation is no exception. A few years ago, the governor of California said, The principal duty of the elderly is to die and get out of the way. And even though this was widely publicized, he didn't even have the decency to exclude his own mother and father from that statement. And though it may not be articulated that plainly, this view of the elderly is certainly becoming more pervasive, and that is very disturbing. In Europe, euthanasia of the elderly, simply because they're no longer productive, is becoming more and more commonplace. I guess this is a natural result of the devaluation of life. When we reach the stage of society where we feel we have the authority or the right to determine the viability of someone in the womb based on genetic traits or our convenience, it's a very short path to justifying the death of anyone. 
anyone who burdens us. In stark contrast to this, we have the example of Jesus himself. One of the greatest examples of love of a child for their parent is seen in the Gospel of John, chapter 19, beginning in verse 25. Now, there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. Most of us remember on important days to do something nice for our mother. A card or flowers on Mother's Day, a gift on their birthday. But here we see Jesus in the midst of the agony of the cross. Nails piercing his heels, his wrists, his back flayed open on the cross. The weight of all the world's sins bearing down upon him. Moments away from death, being separated from his Holy Father... And what is central on his mind? The care of his earthly mother. Jesus, desiring to see his mother cared for, his mother who, already a widow, would soon lose her son. A woman who, in that society, would then be left to beg on the streets to survive. Christ, your king, turns to his beloved disciple, John, and places her in his care. What a powerful and beautiful example to both the letter and the spirit of the law of the fifth commandment to honor your father and your mother. If anyone could have been forgiven at that moment for not thinking of his mother, it would have been Jesus Christ. Pinned to that cross, knowing he was going to bear the full weight of your sin and my sin. Suffer separation from his heavenly father, the Trinity, broken. It would have been Jesus at that moment. All the physical pain tearing at his body, yet he remained obedient to his father's commands, even to the last. Both out of a sense of duty, but more importantly, out of a sense of love for his heavenly father and his earthly mother. Honoring your parents by meeting their physical needs and caring for them is both a clear expression of the love of Christ as well as securing a blessing. In fact, what we see here is the blessing of obedience passed up the family tree as much as it is passed down. We've already seen where, as the children obey, they receive the blessing of long life. We also see here that adult children, if we honor our father and mother, and by honoring, I mean caring for them in their older age, we extend that blessing of long days up the tree as well. In my own home, we've been blessed by this practice. Carrie's mom, Carol, didn't need our financial support. But when Carrie's dad ended up going into a home, um, taking care of her own home was getting to be quite a burden. So she came to live with us. And by having her in our house, um, She's eased of the burden of caring for her own home, and Carrie and I and our own children are blessed with her presence. Three generations receiving blessing all at the same time. Folks, God's principles work. 
His commandments are a blessing, and they bring blessing. Five things are promised to those who obey and honor their parents. Grace in the present life and glory in the life to come. Long life upon the earth. Grateful and pleasing children. A good name and material provision. The youth of every generation sorely need the wisdom and stability old age provides. Adolescent impatience and disrespect of the age, aged is both foolish and comical. We see this in the perpetual dismissal of age by the next generation, in turn causing each generation to relearn the lessons of the previous one. Perhaps this is why, as it's stated in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. It would do good for the young to recognize and understand that that apparent gulf in age that separates them and their parents it's a youthful fantasy, and it's going to pass away in time, just like acne. Are you struggling to figure out what to do with an unruly toddler? Your parents have been there. Knowing some of you, they're probably experts in the topic. Do you feel frustration at the myriad of demands, marriage, parenting, jobs, homes, relationships put on you? Something tells me your mom and dad have already navigated those trials. Wondering what to do as your children grow and leave home? Well, someone else made that transition about 25 years ago. Don't squander the experience your parents have. Honor them by including them in all generations. Honor them in your word and your tone. Honor them through obedience. Honor them in caring for them. And honor your heavenly Father by obeying him all of your days that they may be long in the land in which you dwell. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word, and we are grateful that it's a word not of condemnation, but of promise. God, forgive us when we read your commandments and we see in them a negative, and, and don't recognize the promise that's contained within God, forgive us when we go our own ways and depart from under your hand of provision and protection. God, we ask that you give us warning signs. Give us those prophets in our lives. Give us those words in our lives. But Father, may our ears be inclined to hear it. May we bow down before you with ears pricked up, ready to receive your word and obey. Because God, we desire those promises but more importantly, we desire to honor you. And God, I pray that each of us here today will honor you by honoring our earthly father and mother. We pray this in the glorious name of your son. Amen. Let's stand together now and sing to our heavenly father, singing with strength and passion, giving him the honor he is due.